Need quality and accessible health care at a minimal cost? Get Antidote Health. We offer individual and family plans with zero co-pays for online doctor visits 24-7, pediatric visits, mental health care, and more. Some plans even have a cashback benefit, and you'll get access to top-tier providers like Cleveland Clinic. Open enrollment has started, so sign up today at antidotehealth.com slash start. Dollar copays and cashback not available on all services or prescription drugs. Consult your plan for more information. There's a reason Bowling Green State University is ranked number one in Ohio for student experience. Our in-demand degrees and life design program prepares students for their first career and their next. With an unparalleled support system at a national research university, BGSU offers an unrivaled experience, all on a vibrant campus in one of America's best college towns. It's also why Bowling Green State University is the number one school in the Midwest that students would choose again for the fourth year in a row. You are now listening to the Going Deep Podcast with your hosts, Kevin Massari and Mike Bunt, live from the Cover One Sports Network. Here we go. Welcome into another edition of the Going Deep Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Massari, here with Mike Bunt and later on in the show, producer Kevin, to break down all things trade deadline, what the Bills have had happen this week as well as there's another football game to be played on Sunday, uh, a very important Sunday night football game against Mike's favorite Cincinnati Bengals. So we'll get to that in more brought to you by Sons of Erie, www.sonsofeerie.com. Check out all their great artwork and an awesome new set of apparel. Check out those hats at sonsofeerie.com. First and foremost, feeling pretty good after a fairly active last 24 hours. Uh, Very interesting rumors. Bills were clearly at least semi-active, at least working the phones. Mike, what is your quick opinion on how the last 24 to 48 hours have gone for uh, this Bills roster? Turned out pretty well. You get a guy like Rasul Douglas, that's about as good as you could have hoped for going into trade deadline day. Obviously giving up a third-round pick, getting a fifth in return. Uh, I'm pretty excited. Cornerback was obviously a hole on this team ever since Trey White went down. And if you're going to replace him with uh, a trade acquisition. You got one of the better available corners in the league and someone that it, at the very worst is a top 25 to 30 corner uh, in this league, maybe even better according to his pro football focus grades. And the way he fits the scheme, the way he fits this Bills defense, it should be a solid addition to this Bills secondary. Yeah, it's an interesting move. I mean, it was by all accounts reported. I have inside people um, that I trust and others have reported that the Bills are after corner. They were after it pretty, pretty strongly. Uh, Jalen Johnson was a top target of the Bills. I would seemingly think that a contract would have came with that, and they just didn't get there. The Bills did not feel comfortable enough without a second year involved in the contract. And we've seen this even with Naeem Hines last year. We've seen this in the, even Kelvin Benjamin in the early days of Brandon Bean. We've seen this him liking term on his traits. He does not like to give away assets, especially one that's decent for any type of one-year rental. So you saw it uh, this season specifically where he wasn't feeling confident enough that he could get a deal done with Jalen Johnson and basically said, we're going to pivot. 
um, and pivoted to Rasul Douglas, a guy that came on late, third round draft choice, um, you know, was in and out of lineups early on in his career. Kind of reminds me a lot, Mike, of Leonard Floyd, a guy who had a lot of good draft tape, a guy that you expected something from early on, but just took a little bit to get going. Um, now, Leonard Floyd's definitely one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. And Rasul Douglas is absolutely as every bit as good of a corner. I've watched him film already. Every good as bit of a cornerback, one that you want. Is he a top 10 guy? Probably not there. But he's definitely fairly close to that ranking of being an easily top 20, top 25 corner that you're looking for to add to any roster that already had a budding star in Christian Benford uh, across from him. And then uh, the eventual return of Trey White, Probably next season, obviously, but the eventual return of him and his contract. And the funny part about him, Mike, uh, Russell Douglas, one-year, $9 million option next year for the Bills. Fairly reasonable and a fairly easy option to work around if you'd like to keep him and or redo something with him. So Brandon Bean probably felt pretty pretty great about a single digit in the millions, a cornerback one next season, that uh, he felt comfortable enough swapping a third for a fifth. The trade value calculator says it's around a fourth. Um, and, you know, Brandon Bean has no issues dealing with fourth round value as he seems to do every year, moving away from that to get Dalton Kincaid or Kyer Elam uh, doesn't seem to bother him. And guess what, Mike? We're going to have a fun draft day three special here on the Going Deep podcast because last year we had two picks. This year we're going to have seven picks. We're going to have a fourth, two fifth, three sixths, and a seven. So we're going to enjoy the draft day special, uh, day three special this year, Mike. Um, but just off face value, there's some data that I want to go over in a minute, but your reactions are Brandon Bean went out and got you, got a cornerback one, I'm assuming. Yeah, this is what fans wanted. Fans wanted a move. And I could tell throughout the day, a lot of people were getting impatient, getting frustrated. Obviously Jalen Johnson was at the center of the rumors, uh, would have been incredible if the bills could have uh, grabbed him, but uh, obviously in the same, that bad of a consolation prize, uh, if you're going to get someone else from the NFC North and just a few random numbers, I, I'll let you go more into the metric side of things. But Rasul Douglas has six interceptions in the fourth quarter or overtime since 2021. That is the most among cornerbacks. Obviously, uh, Greg Thompson, this was one of his targets going into trade deadline day. His 75.2 PFF grade ranks 21st of 129 cornerbacks with a minimum of 100 snaps overall. I'll let you go into some of the deeper numbers, but this is a guy that has played very consistent, uh, solid football over the last three years with the Green Bay Packers. Before that, uh, there was a little up and down when he was in Philadelphia in his single season in Carolina, but this is a guy that will instantly come to the Bills' defense and really fit in to what they're trying to do. Uh, I Will he start this Sunday? That's probably a tad bit fast for me. I mean, I expect him to be out there, but starting probably not this week, at least at this point. Uh, but you're talking about the rest of the year. Your secondary is now back to being one of your better strengths uh, going forward. When you lost Trey, there was some worries. Uh, obviously, there was concern about the safeties. Are they taking a step back? I think it's clear through the last few weeks that Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, they're carrying the team in the back end. Benford has been doing a solid job. Same with Taron Johnson. Now you add a guy like Rasul Douglas. I think it's safe to say your secondary is one of the strengths of this squad again. If they can get a guy like Daquan Jones back on the defensive line uh, prior to the playoffs, assuming the Bills make it to the postseason, you essentially have your entire defense back minus Matt Milano, who 
they're still holding an outside hope that he could come back at some point late in the season. So after a day like today, you don't want to automatically jump and say things are, are great and perfect again, but you definitely start feeling a little bit more positive about what this defense can be going forward. You have to, and you mentioned some PFF grades just to cap that one off. Tenth in coverage in the NFL at the cornerback position, a tick better than this year than Tredavious White was before he went out, and right there with the likes of Sauce Gardner and better than Christian Gonzalez so far this season. Uh, so it was a very interesting trade where, honestly, I had heard Razul Douglas come up a few times, and I didn't think that Green Bay would – he had a very cheap minimum contract this year. The Bills are only going to pay about 800 k a uh, very doable contract against, and they, they, the Bills felt really good about Jalen Johnson's number this year too. And that's kind of what sparked the interest there. But I didn't think that they, the difference there was I didn't think Green Bay, especially for a three, five swap. I didn't think that they'd want to let go of that next year option. I know things went South on them this year, but man, really going from like call it the 90th overall pick, just roughly to about the 140th overall pick. I mean, there's a little value there, but Bean was still able to calculate that and knowing that he has about the 97th or 98th overall pick there as well in the compensation pick for Tremaine Edmonds. So ultimately, great value there for the Bills. At first, I, would, I, I was told to me a third and a five. I thought that that was okay, but, but expensive. But then once I found out it was a third for five swap, that's when I was like, okay, yeah, that's, that's a fairly good deal. Brandon Bean came out well. Uh, just for next year's option alone, and then the bonus of having him as a kicker this year for half a season, those two combined, one or the other is decent value. But the fact that you have that option next year and then the ability to have him for this run uh, were two really good combinations that I thought he could have been a trade target for the Bills at the end of the season. But to be able to get him at that price point on a minimum deal for nine games uh, is pretty good value. And to go into a few more statistics about Razul Douglas that actually preaches to his availability that he doesn't really miss games. Banged up Bill said he's only missed two in 2020, and that was for COVID-related things. Uh, doesn't miss football games, which we know this regime puts a really strong importance on, especially knowing the injury rash that they've had over the last 12 to 14 months, starting with the Thanksgiving Day game uh, in New Orleans with Trey White. And then ever really since then, they've kind of had a little bit of rash of injuries. But some better stats for you, 26 in passer rating against in the NFL, uh, 59.5. 15th in yards per coverage snap, only 0.5. It's a really good uh, meaning that he's really good at covering people and not having the ball thrown his way. 64%, uh, 64th in completion percentage, meaning that really no big plays are ha being, being had in front of him. 31st in points saved. 29th in EPA per target, negative 0.18, meaning that every time you throw his way, it's a negative 0.18 from a cornerback. Very good. It's top 30, obviously. And 19 in busted coverage percentage, uh, seven, only 17.4% of the time. All, all those numbers combined, mixed with, if you like PFF, mixed with just some of the raw box score stuff with the interceptions that you had. And all of a sudden, you have a pretty complete trade candidate that really, he's a pure example of someone that developed in his tenure. He isn't somebody that started fairly strong. He switched teams a lot from 2019, 2020. There was some movement in there that many had said is a day two, potential day two bust um, that we've heard about, like the AJ Epinesa mold maybe. But these guys just do develop, and they do figure it out after three and four seasons. It's not just Dalton Kincaid. It's not just Gregory Rousseau where you got it right in the first eight games. Sometimes it does take AJ Epinesa. Sometimes it does take two and a half, three, four seasons, Mike. Teams give up a little bit too early. And something the Bills didn't feel quite comfortable with giving up Kyrie Elam yet uh, when there was some rumblings, especially with the Josh Norman benching 
and now the eventual replacement of him by Rasul Douglas, um, that, you know, you'd have to assume, and then Dane Jackson's obviously there too. Well, so really Dane got replaced, who had replaced Kyrie, uh, which is music to my ears. Uh, but Mike, how do you feel about the Kyrie Elam situation as this was pretty pretty easy to assume they could have flipped him for a fourth or straight up for this deal. So what is your opinion on holding him now? Obviously, he's going to be a game day inactive. But what's your opinion on, on this Kyrie Elam situation where he's just going to be sitting uh, without a jersey on game day now? Yeah, I was fine with Brandon Bean going either way with Kyrie Elam. Uh, if he needed to part with him in order to acquire someone solid like a Rasul Douglas or Jalen Johnson, I was okay with that uh, because you'd be making the team better now um, in exchange for a person that really doesn't have an immediate future on your team. But I don't have any issues holding on to him. Um, you can still uh, believe in him and try to take whatever you can out of his development to try to maybe hope that you can salvage something uh, next offseason. And if you can, maybe there is a possibility that Elam could still work his way onto the Bills, um, onto the field in the future. Uh, obviously, the hope level isn't that high, but maybe Bean wasn't quite ready to, to give up completely on him. Uh, but this being said, it, it doesn't look good for Elam going forward now that you have three solid corners on this team once Trey White returns next year. Obviously, it's a big question. What type of player is Trey White going to be when he returns from this Achilles injury? But assuming that he makes a full recovery and he's out there, now you have a, a one, two, three. That is Trey White, Rasul Douglas, Christian Benford. You don't really have room for Kair Elam as the fourth corner on this squad unless one of them makes a move to safety, which – there is a possibility maybe after this injury that they go to Trey White and ask him, would you ever consider making a, a move to safety? I know a lot of fans last year talked about Benford being the guy that would have to rotate uh, into the safety position to get reps. But I think Christian Benford has more than proved himself at cornerback. He's only 23 years old. He's on a rookie contract. He's been playing above average um, at that position. So I don't think the move would be to move Benford at this point in time. He is so solid mm -hmm. at mm -hmm. corner as your number two corner. It, it doesn't make sense for me to move him. And with a guy like Rasul Douglas, you might actually have an equivalent player to what Trey White was based on what R Rasul Douglas has been doing so far this season. In fact, his grades are higher than what Trey White was doing earlier this year in a limited sample size. So maybe it is time to see if, if Trey would be willing to, to make that move in the future. Micah Hyde is not under contract after this season. Jordan Poyer has one year left. So there is a lot of questions about what you will do at the safety position going forward. And with Trey under contract for two more years, it might be time to start considering that possibility. But as for this team right now, uh, I, I think it puts the corner room in a good spot where now Dane Jackson goes back to where he most likely should be. And that's be your primary backup corner. There's never a, really an issue with Dane Jackson coming up in the event of an injury. But to have to rely on him on a weekly basis, that's when you get into some trouble um, with his, his limited ceiling. So I think this kind of puts things back to where uh, you want uh, the rotation to be if you're a Bills fan or if you're one of the, the Bills coaches. Yeah, and 
very solid overall addition, and especially at this price point. I was worried they might have to overpay in a situation that was talked about. San Fran, who botched a, a, a acquisition of a Dory Jackson from the New York Giants, which was very interesting. In days of technology, people are still somehow botching trades. I don't understand how that's an issue. I don't really know, like, if, if the teams agreed to a deal, I don't really know where this is falling short for teams, but apparently that's still happening in the NFL in the year of 2023. But the Bills obviously had competitors. Uh, there was much talks that the Bills may be interested in a, in a, in a one-tech. Uh, was there any discussions around Leonard Williams, a guy we saw go yesterday with a restructured contact, uh, contract? Did they make a call for Jonathan Allen? There was, there was much discussions that they could have, at least as of yesterday, been working the one-tech phones and realized early on that they didn't think that a deal was going to get done at that position. So let's put whatever resources we've allocated to this trade deadline to the corner room, which presented itself fairly early in, in, in a way where they went after Johnson right after the Sunday night football game from all accounts uh, that I've heard so far that that was their, one of their top targets. And I'm assuming Rasul Douglas uh, working the phones with Green Bay in the back burner uh, to make sure that that value didn't present itself, which it ended up doing. So that's a pretty exciting time. And what's really great that you mentioned, Mike, the big physical nature of a player like him, just like Benford. Benford is He's one of the best coverage corners. Now, once he gets a few more hands on balls and or breaks up a few more things, he's going to be an elite level corner because that sticky coverage is something you don't overly see often. Uh, and the way he made the play at the end of the game uh, in Tampa, just play after play and even made the play against Mike Evans that just happened to ricochet off his helmet um, and just just poor fashion, just unlucky fashion, the way, the way that 18-play drive went to end the Tampa Bay game with a face mask penalty, with a ticky-tack. It's almost like um, the ref said target Taron Johnson after that Giants victory because that was ticky-tack. That guy ran his route right into him. It, it was before five yards, but in the initial contact, that is not a legal contact by definition. That's that's a guy that ran his route deliberately at Baker Mayfield. Never looked that way to extend a drive. I hated that call. Um, the face mask was a face mask, a terrible play by Jordan Phillips. I don't know what he's thinking. You just stand there. It was stand there and the game's over um, and uh, botch that. But it took a couple of weird instances, a deflection off a helmet. Um, but Christian Benford, in, in all accounts, was locked down against Mike Evans. And that's just a guy I'm not moving to safety at this point. He is your starting corner for the foreseeable future. Uh, based, unless something crazy happens, he's your cornerback. You know, he's battling cornerback. When he was guarding Mike Evans, one of the best receivers in the NFL, people forget just because he's on like a bad Tampa team right now or, or below average Tampa team, how good Mike Evans really is in his physical nature. He's a pretty good player. He is he's in the corner one status and we'll see if he's able to elevate uh, to a top 20 uh, person. And I am I agree. I am not somebody that likes to convert very rarely like an Aaron Williams or others. Do I like to convert a safe a corner to safety? I don't see it. I don't see Trey White going there. He has the instincts. He has the read and react. I just don't know that he has the total frame and build and box nature tackling ability of a Jordan Poyer or a box safety. I just don't really see it. Could he replace like a Micah Hyde? That's a little more realistic, but I just don't think he has that those total safety measurables that you're looking for. And I do think they run back Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer for one, at least one more season next year with how well they're both playing. So I don't see the safety conversion. I don't see safety as the biggest need in the world. Uh, either, but I wanted to quickly show the Raz. Look at the elite size grade, and this is what the Bills like. He's ringing in at six two now, so probably even a little bit taller than 
Uh, he was at the combine many, many years ago now uh, when Raz basically first came out. But uh, you see his height and his weight grade, his hands and arm. He has elite measurables that you're looking for there. Outside of like a four five nine forty, which is okay in a zone uh, style game, he's okay in his 10-yard splits. Uh, he has average speed grade, but he's shown to put a little bit more speed on film to go with that elite size grade. Uh, and you're overly looking for round to seven Raz at the cornerback position, as our guy Math Bomb has told us uh, in the past. You're looking for a seven Raz, and that usually works out well with the instincts, like it did here with Razul Douglas. Um, so, Mike, just the overall workflow of the corner room, what you saw against a really talented receiving core of Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, and others. I thought they played well against Kate Otten, who's a pretty good tight end. He's a, he's a developing uh, young tight end himself. How did you think that they went? And now you're adding Razul Douglas, which is, you know, you can like Dane Jackson. I don't overly like him. I know you like him a little bit. But either way, you're replacing Dane Jackson with a Razul Douglas. And all of a sudden, you feel a little bit better against matching up with some of the league's best, as you've, you've already seen Christian Benford be able to do it. Yeah, I, I felt good about the way they played against Tampa Bay. Uh, obviously, an upgrade is always appreciated. Uh, as I said earlier, Dane I feel most comfortable with him being the number three corner. I didn't. I don't have issues with him filling in for a few weeks here or there if needed because he can fill in and be uh, a solid uh, contributor when when asked upon. He hasn't had a bad season this year by by any standard, but this is definitely a, a true upgrade. In, in and like I said earlier on the show, I, I think you're going to see the defense uh, flowing a lot more effectively now uh, going forward with a guy like Rasul Douglas in, in, in this lineup, you're getting a true uh, corner, low tier corner one, high tier corner two, and a guy like Rasul Douglas. So you, you match him up with Benford. This is going to bring solid results uh, for the Bills defense. So any, any concerns after Trey White was out of the lineup, I feel like those uh, are somewhat alleviated now with this acquisition. Yeah, great. And uh, one of Greg Thompson's favorite, if you guys watch on Friday, his uh, his um, free agent, or excuse me, his trade deadline recap special, uh, he had Razul Douglas in there with Sean Murphy bunting as some of his favorite targets. Uh, Jalen Johnson as well on that list. Uh, you know, Razul Douglas being the best value, him and uh, Murphy bunting had pretty good values. The difference was Razul Douglas was not expiring. You have that one-year, $9 million option, uh, two-year guaranteed due in March, the Bills will make a decision fairly quickly. And that's just more of a placeholder year, too. If they like his play over the next nine weeks, he's going to get some type of medium-term extension. He's not crazy old 28 at the moment. Um, they're going to give him some – they didn't just trade for him unless he tanks. They didn't just trade for him for uh, that one-year $9 million option. They will move that money around and have him on the roster next year in my per, uh, my predictive uh, experience. He's a, he's a, he has zone experience, which is huge. He has those long arms that we've already showed you and that height, weight, speed. Uh, do, does check all the boxes there for him. Uh, so definitely comes in much coveted. A player that's developed, and that's what I really like to see. He's a guy that's grinded through a couple of different teams and proven that he's been, been able to get it done uh, and got that three-year, $21 million uh, uh, extension from Green Bay. And he's played to that contract, too. That was a good contract by Green Bay. Uh, at the time, it might have looked like a little bit much after only really being good for one year. But he's played to that over the last year and a half, uh, being a Pro Bowl alternative in 2021, uh, having a couple defensive players of the week. He can show out. There are games that he can affect, um, and that's every bit as much as what Philly wanted when they initially um, were thinking about him on their roster. So, Mike. When the kids call and they say, hey, Dad, can you pick up Skyline? I'm always like, absolutely. 
I'm halfway there because you don't have to tell me twice. That's the time for our family to be together, and Skyline's always been part of our family time. Life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance because you'll feel protected no matter how the wind blows. Also, you can keep enjoying the home of your dreams. And our expert agents can help you save up to 23% when you bundle home with auto. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Great stuff at the corner room. The Bills also signed Leonard Fournette, which has been told to us as a potential elevation slash He's going to the active roster once he gets up to speed as well. That news came down early. He's a receptions target, and they call him playoff Lenny. Those are two things that, like, is it really pivotal that he's on the roster today over Ty Johnson? Probably not. You're probably not, um, you know, seeing a huge upgrade there. But the Bills are interested. They've been interested in him since free agency. Uh, he's been a guy that's been in and out of, of discussions with the Bills and he had him targeted him. And in playoff Lenny's coming back to town to help out a team. And he's got Super Bowl experience and, and really good playoff years. Um, so I wanted to make sure we pointed that out. What is your opinion on bringing in, you know, they don't have a fourth running back on their entire roster. So I'm assuming he's going to swap in with Ty Johnson, who also lost the returner job to Shaquille Shakir and others and Deontay Hardy, obviously. What's your opinion of, of bringing him in and probably swapping out Ty Johnson uh, in the near future? Yeah, it's not really an overly important move either way, in my opinion. Uh, I know some people are excited because Leonard Fournette obviously has a big name, uh, former star at LSU, came into the league with uh, huge uh, aspirations of becoming a star running back, had a few 1,000-yard seasons. He's obviously way past that uh, prime right now when he comes to Buffalo, but I think he could be a solid uh, third string running back for the Bills, someone that they can use in goal line situations and short yarded situations uh, moving forward. Obviously, before the year, that was what Damian Harris was expected to do. And then he goes out. Uh, you need to replace that that role. Latavius Murray, I thought he, he's had a solid year. But one area that he actually has struggled is cashing in these uh, goal to go situations. He's been stuffed. I believe three or four times, which is near the top of the league. And with a guy like Fortnite, you're hoping maybe his size will be enough to just bruise his way into uh, the end zone. He also is a decent pass catching back as well. It's it's something that a lot of people overlook when they talk about Fournette's game is that he is heavily utilized in the passing game, or at least has been uh, in the past with Tampa Bay. Now, will he be part of that in Buffalo? Who knows? But this is a guy that, when Tampa Bay won the Super Bowl back in the 2020 season, lit it up in the playoffs. So you're, you're hoping you can just get a little bit uh, of that still uh, with Leonard Fournette. Obviously, he's he's not going to take many carries away from James Cook, and I still think Latavius Murray is going to get the majority of the second string uh, carries. But if anything, if he can help you out in the goal line in the short yarded situations, that'll be a plus for this team because it's, it's severely lacking at, at the current moment. And we're hearing about it every week with the Bills running uh, these shotgun runs uh, near the goal line. You keep hearing people being frustrated with them, and uh, I'm with everyone. It, it is frustrating seeing these shotgun runs, but there is some logic to it. When you have a quarterback like Josh Allen who's athletic and able to run, 
when you're able to do these RPOs, the, the thought is that you can catch defenses off guard. But once in a while, you need Josh to run. Right now, they've become a little bit too predictable. But you're hoping with a guy like Fournette, maybe that won't matter. Maybe he can break the one tackle needed uh, to find the, the paint. So, uh, like I said, not a overly critical signing, but uh, excited to see what he does, assuming that uh, he stays in shape and eventually gets to the call up uh, in a few weeks, which I think you and I both expect. Yeah, and you see right here an eight Raz, uh, really important. It's a really important out of a running back room. You need that explosive nature. You need that elite size. You need that elite speed. And outside of the vert jump, which he didn't do very well, um, you know, he, I mean, many people forget he was a fourth overall pick. You know, but basically six one two forty, really good arms and hand size, pretty fast for his for his size, um, and rings in above an eight Raz. Um, you know, he worked on that vert jump, and all of a sudden you're into the nine ten range. Of from a running back position. So he does possess that the height, weight, speed again that you're looking for. And the Bills have generally drafted fairly well with. Um, so a lot of the Raz players have developed into good, solid football players that we've seen Terrell Bernard, we've seen Christian Benford, we've seen others that use this with their instincts that the Bills look for. It's a pretty easy combination. Do you have good film? Do you have good instincts? Are you athletic? And that, and that puzzle piece mixture can mean a lot in the Bills are starting to prove that they're using some variation of that pie when they're selecting and or trading and or signing. So we'll see what when he comes up. I think that, you know, by all accounts, the Bills have been very excited to bring him in for a little while now. So I'm interested to see how quickly he's elevated to the roster and what the Bills do from here. They obviously have been working out tight ends as well. Um, you know, it's a position that they'd still like to use a little bit more in 12. I probably don't think they ideally want just Dalton Kincaid and Reggie Gilliam active on game day. I think they'd like a little bit more versatility than that. So we'll see if a tight end is brought in in the near future as well. Adam Shaheen was in the workout uh, area today. Trey McKitty, a guy that was waived um, more of a tight end three, but we'll see if the Bills want to tap into any of that potential uh, there from the Chargers. But Mike, recapping the Bucks game. You know, they dominated for the majority of the game. It was pretty much the opposite of the New England game. Played super well for three quarters, basically dominant football. And then kind of, you know, they were still putting their foot on the gas as much more than people think. They were still throwing pretty often. And they just made some 50-50 decisions by all accounts that even favored punting a little bit. Because the last thing you can do up 14 is put Baker Mayfield on the 50. Um, it's not something like a team that was struggling beside one turnover to drive the ball inside the Bills territory. They couldn't move the ball. So giving them the ball at the 50 isn't ideal. And in this game flow, I don't mind the punting there, but ultimately I, I don't think it was an issue. They needed some big lock to even be close to being in that game. Um, and all around a win to win. That's a fairly talented football team that could still win that division uh, when it's all said and done. We'll see if they're able to do so. Uh, as a recap of that game with them going for two, that's the new school thing, like go for two when you're down two touchdowns. Um, some teams are starting to do that uh, as well, Mike. So as we pivot to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, just once again, uh, that game, I think by all by all accounts, went about as well as you could expect outside of the final score. Is that what you would say? Yeah, outside of the final score, the I mean, Bills dominated the game. Uh, yeah. I would have liked them to go for – uh, one of those fourth down opportunities in the third quarter. I understand why they didn't. You're up two scores. You trust the defense. Tampa didn't show anything that entire day uh, that convinced McDermott or anyone else that they were going to be able to drive the distance of the field and put points up that way. 
I more so am a fan of going for the knockout punch. But as you said, um, there's this kind of narrative that the Bills let off the gas in the second half. That wasn't necessarily true. The Bills were still heavily passing it. Tampa, Tampa Bay just adjusted and made some good plays in uh, critical moments and and put bills in the put the bills in some tough situations where you have to decide: well, Am I going to punt or am I going to go for it? And obviously, yeah. the Bills took a little bit more of a conservative approach in those fourth down decisions. But overall, they were aggressive uh, in their game plan and how they chose to attack Tampa uh, for the entire contest. What I what I really liked about the the game, and this has been talked about a lot already, but it was how the Bills came out. Uh, obviously, we knew there was going to be a lot of eleven personnel because they didn't have the tight end depth going into the game to really run 12 uh, personnel. So they were forced into uh, running 11. But the fact that they ran up-tempo, no huddle to start the game, and, and really put Tampa uh, on their back feet and reacting to what the Bills were doing, I thought that was a tremendous uh, adjustment by the Bills' offense. To kind of go back to their bread and butter, uh, obviously a lot of fans were were hoping for and were vouching uh, for that going into the game. And it was nice to see that the Bills can still have success going to their old strategies. Uh, what I thought was very comforting was that when the Bills were spreading it out, I think we we saw that this team is more than just Stephon Diggs and, and Gabe Davis. They do have other guys capable of making plays. Dalton Kincaid has now two weeks in a row really stepped up and, and had solid performances, including his first professional touchdown. And, and the strange thing is, if he didn't miss the one game, we're talking about a tight end as a rookie that'd be on pace for over 70 catches and 630 yards. Uh, as a rookie, that's one of the best tight end rookie seasons of all time. And that's including this really slow offensive start by our perspective. You add on top of that, Khalil Shakir is really showing some development in recent weeks, he's surprisingly one of the best blocking wide receivers in football right now in his limited snaps. But also you saw some physicality uh, and some elusiveness in the in the passing game where he was able to avoid a few tackles uh, and make plays and go upfield with the ball. And Gabe Davis, major props to him uh, on Thursday night. There's been a lot of criticism of him. Uh, saying that he's not a good enough number two receiver, that he's not consistent enough. And I'll, I'll, I'll agree with the people about the consistency part. Now, the basis for it, uh, I've always said it's a little bit more of how Dorsey schemes him and how Dorsey uses him than what it's actually Gabe Davis doing out there on the field. But what we saw on Thursday night was Davis used in a variety of ways that we have not seen him use throughout his entire Bills career. And the short passing game had some huge plays as a result of it. Gabe Davis had multiple uh, short yardage receptions that he turned down the field and, and turned into extended uh, yardage. So I thought that was uh, very encouraging, seeing him actually get kind of more of a possession receiver role. And then Stephon Diggs is always doing his thing. James Cook, another solid performance. So the, the offense, I thought, took a step in the right direction. I do want to still see them be able to finish drives uh, better for the most part. I, I do think they're stalling a little bit too often for my liking. But other than that, it was a step in the right direction. And I do hope once they do get Knox back involved, that they can use that 12 personnel in the second half to finish off teams. Uh, I do think that was something that might have helped them in the second half against Tampa 
when trying to put the game away. Once Tampa had adjusted to what the Bills were doing, it might have been nice to be able to use that 12 personnel every once in a while to keep Tampa on their toes. Well, it's the time, time of the show to bring up uh, producer Kevin. I want to get his thoughts on the Bills acquisition of Rasul Douglas. So we'll bring that topic back up for just another quick couple minutes so we can get his opinion and his thoughts on that. And then it's time to go to the Cincinnati Bengals Sunday night football game where I want to take it. So that's going to be pretty exciting to get into that. But as always, the show is brought to you by Sons of Erie, www.sonsoferie.com. Get out there, check out all their new merch and all of their artwork. Some of my favorite stuff out there, sonsofairy.com. Um, also, we've been brought to you by Underdog Fantasy, one of the greatest fantasy apps out there. You can play best ball fantasy. Get out there, check it out. You don't need to set your lineups at times. You can bet some of the fate. One of the most favorite games that I have out there is the ability to kind of pick different players and see how they'll do. That's super fun as well. Use promo code Cover One as well for a match on all of your money up to a hundred dollars with promo code cover one. Um, so Mike, it's time to bring up producer Kevin onto the show. Producer Kevin, uh, glad to have you as well onto the show. Some quick opinions of Razul Douglas would be great from your end. Um, you know, it's much talked about what he's going to be able to do from a cornerback one perspective, potentially even, you know, shade him and hopefully take away one side of the field. I did want to, before we get Kevin's opinion, did want to uh, shout out some of the thoughts coming from Green Bay, who are uh, actually pretty upset to lose this player. He's been told the third best uh, rated player on the Packers this year. So this isn't just a guy that's kind of Doc Dane Jackson of the Packers. This is a guy that had um, some pedigree that teams themselves, uh, the Green Bay Packers and their fans were pretty upset to lose. They, they picked him up. They basically developed him um, and also said this is um, – Micah Hyde all over again. That's one of the uh, the takes that I saw out of Green Bay, which was which is pretty pretty uh, shocking that uh, they were able to develop Micah Hyde to lose him to a to be a stud safety in Buffalo. Uh, some other comments that we saw uh, that I saw from them, um, they a lot of them didn't like their GM's move here. They thought that he deserved more and or to keep him if this was all he's going to be, and can't believe we picked him up off the streets and made him an elite corner. Uh, that was said by another. Um, another uh, Green Bay Packers fan as well. So, Kevin, what's your opinion on Razul Douglas, the Bills being fairly active? It's pretty evident now that they were working the phones for defensive players, um, notably corner, possibly even one tack. But what's your opinion on what they were able to do as they saw a couple of their other competitors, the 49ers, the Jags, a couple others make some moves? Uh, what is your opinion on what the Bills came away with? Well, I, I really like this deal for the Bills getting Rasul Douglas. And – I wasn't sure what they were going to do because there were so many different positions that they could go after, whether it's wide receiver or tight end or defensive tackle, linebacker, cornerback. But I'm glad that they finalized this deal with the Green Bay Packers and getting a cornerback here on this roster because if you think about it, the other positions, there's a chance that those guys can come back. Dawson Knox should be back within a few weeks. Let's not forget Justin Shorter is still on IR as a wide receiver. And then you go to the defensive side, Daquan Jones should be back at the end of the year, and there's still a, a slim chance that Matt Milano could return. So looking at it from that perspective, the Bills attack the position that they know they are not going to get any help with, with Trey White absolutely being done for the year. Yeah. And the other reason why I like this deal so much is that Rasul Douglas is immediately the biggest corner on this Bills roster right now. So. I put together a little depth chart here, not even a depth chart, just the cornerback room. 
and just visibly it, it looks so much better now as it's it's fortified here with this fourth outside corner so it's rasul douglas christian benford dane jackson kyer elam and then taron johnson and saran neal in the slot and of course should probably mention josh norman but rasul douglas is 6 210 pounds christian benford is 6 205 and then there's a drop off dane jackson's only 5 180 so, like I said, Rasul Douglas is immediately the biggest corner here in the room for the Bills, and they brought that size and physicality element. And another sneaky aspect of this deal that I like is that Douglas does not miss a lot of tackles. In his seven years, only once has he had a missed tackle percentage above 9%. And if you look, Dane Jackson's missed tackle percentage is 15.2. Christian Benford has not missed a tackle this season. So there is your CB1 and CB2, Rasul Douglas and Christian Benford, two, maybe I shouldn't say studs, but you know we're talking about Christian Benford becoming a stud. And I think Rasul Douglas, like you said, if he can have that Micah Hyde effect, I think Bills did a really good job here with this trade today. Yeah, and I think what's really interesting is what they're going to be able to do. It isn't just a rental one to make sure we stress that enough on the show during different segments. I don't believe Rasul Douglas is anywhere near a rental. The Bills have a one-year, $7 million deal plus a $2 million option on him. So one-year, $9 million to keep Rasul Douglas in this defense. And I definitely think that was part of what was so intriguing about him, maybe over Sean Murphy bunting, and then probably over Jalen Johnson, a guy that was going to – yes, he's younger. He's been a stud. He's probably been – an underratedly top eight to 12 corner in the league, maybe a slight tick better than Razul Douglas, maybe not, but it definitely had the youth on his end. And the bills really wanted him longer than just eight game, eight, nine games. Uh, they did not feel comfortable enough that he'd sign a single digit deal uh, like Razul Douglas has next year. And you're probably talking about uh, uh, two, two figures in front of the millions there for Rasul, uh, for uh, Jalen Johnson, probably in the 14 to 16 range. And they just don't have that flexibility right now with the unknown of Trey White. So the Bills did well. I don't believe he's a rental. He's going to figure out this defense. And that's a topic as we kind of transition Razul Douglas into the Bengals game. Uh, the Bengals are now starting to tick on all cylinders finally. Team starts 3-3 three and three like every year. Um, I don't I don't know what it is. It's really interesting what they do. There's always an injury. There's always this. There's always that. Um, I don't think their coach is particularly good. But the quarterback does always figure it out. Um, and they do always start to tick on all cylinders as they get into November, December, and then obviously into January. But Rasul Douglas, as you go into this game, he has his own experience. He knows what he's doing. And I don't think it's crazy that he's active. And I don't know that it's that crazy that he plays. So we'll have to see what Sean McDermott says tomorrow as Tuesday does give you enough time to get in the building today, get in the rooms tomorrow and play. It's not that crazy. I definitely expect him against Denver on Monday Night Football. Um, but I, I, I don't think it's that wild to think that he plays in this game. And I think he moves the needle enough for me personally, because I'm the one of, I don't know where Kevin stands, but I'm one that does think that Dane, Dane Jackson is one of the bigger, weaker, weaker links on this roster. And if not the defense, just the defense alone, he's a big weak link, if not the entire roster. And thus the Bills kind of proved it. They went out there and replaced him. Like they didn't replace Christian Benford. Um, obviously, Kyrie Elam was already replaced. So they went out there and replaced Dane Jackson because they, they probably agreed that that he's an emergency corner, that he's a corner four, that he's a guy that that can come in and spot start, that can know that knows the defense. 
but I do believe he's enough of a needle mover to put a guy back on the field. I don't think this move gets made with Trey White here. So I do believe that with this specific trade, he moves the needle enough for me to be confident against some of these teams uh, that the Bills, the Bills run a really good zone defense, right? So if you have a guy that's really good in zone, that can help McDermott out. And then you have a really good pass rush that can help McDermott out a whole lot. Um, and Kevin, you know, wanted to get, we talked about Elam for a little while. So why don't you tell us what your thoughts were around the uh, corner room, but then the, the Elam situation. Well, I know we've, we've had plenty of discussions about Kyer Elam and his future here in Buffalo, and his name was getting ramped up a lot in trade talks, and there are a lot of rumors saying, will Brandon Bean move on? And, you know, I, I'm glad he didn't because I still like Kyer Elam. Celebrity voice impersonation, not an endorsement. Why go to a single furniture store when you can go to Big Sandy Superstore? Shop and compare America's top five mattress brands plus Nectar and Purple. And choose from over 22,000 in-stock appliances from the top brands at the guaranteed lowest price. Or furnish the room of your dreams with a large selection of American-built furniture. With financing plans for just about anyone, there's nowhere else quite like it. Big Sandy Superstore. Reimagine this holiday season with more capability and more adventure in Kia's EverReady lineup. This winter, gift yourself what you really want during Kia's Season of Giving Back sales event. Kia is offering great deals on the capable Sorento and the spacious Sportage, and deals on even more vehicles like the all-electric EV6 and the fun-to-drive Forte. So visit your local Kia dealer and explore all your newfound possibilities by enjoying Kia's Season of Giving Back. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Event ends one I know. They just had a guy literally come off the street, 35-year-old Josh Norman, and he got a jersey ahead of Kyer Elam. So it looks pretty bleak. But I went back and I found a video where Brandon Bean was talking about Wyatt Teller. And he's talked about this every single year, ever since trading away Wyatt Teller. And in the video, he says, you learn to have patience as a general manager and you don't want to give up on these players too soon. And it really bothers him. I mean, I've gone to a couple of events it's called uh, a seat at the table of Brandon Bean on the Sunday following the draft. And he'll even bring it up there. So whether it's, you know, a, a closed in event for the season ticket holders or if it's to the public or to the media or whatever, Brandon Bean repeatedly talks about how he rushed his decision to trade away Wyatt Teller. I should say we did get Tyler Bass out of that. So I guess it did work in some ways. But regardless, Wyatt Teller turned out to be one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL. So. As much as I was hearing this Kyrie Elam trade talk, I just really did not see Brandon Bean pulling the trigger already, not even two full years into it. So I'm glad that he stuck with Kyrie Elam here, and I'm glad that he went with Russell Douglas because if he were, if he were to acquire Jalen Johnson, you talked to him. I mean, that's a hefty price. You're going to have to give up a lot. You might have to give up on Elam. You're going to have to pay Jalen Johnson. So I just think that this is a perfect happy medium deal getting Rasul Douglas to Orchard Park. Absolutely. Mike, as we kind of look forward to the Bengals game now in Sunday Night Football, I know it's a topic that's near and dear to your heart as it's Bengals week uh, here live on NBC. Um, I think you've already touched on you don't know if Douglas plays this week. I think against these big rangy, speedy receivers, he would definitely be necessary. And if you're going to press him, it might be the week. And if there's anything that you don't think he's understanding, you go to Dane Jackson anyways. Um, and, and at least you have him active in case one of them gets hurt. I think that that's at the minimum. 
I still play him though because of his his ability to learn zone defense. And it's not like a different style of defense than he's played in the past that he's got to learn up to speed as a, as a second round pick. Uh, this is a guy that's played successfully. And I personally would throw him out there and see what you're able to do against one of the best receiving cores in the league. Um, I think that that's the timing of this, of this, they're able to get him up to speed. So as you see these new weapons coming in for the Bengals uh, that, you know, the bills are quite frequently pretty uh, familiar with now since uh, week seven, 16, 17 of last year, the playoffs. And now, now, you know, this is a fairly same looking offense. It's pretty similar. Um, their defense took a little bit of a hit, but they're still playing pretty good. Cause I think they have a really good coordinator, uh, but they did take a hit in the back in the back there, in my opinion. And that's kind of where they started struggling, not just with Joe Burrow. Uh, so what's your kind of take on Rizul Douglas? Do you suit him up anyways? Like, yeah, yeah. it's corner. No, he, he absolutely gets suited up this week. I, my, my thing isn't, do you play him or not? He's he's obviously going to play uh, on Sunday. My my biggest question is: Does he get the start? Uh, do they throw him out there and with the start right away? I I absolutely want to want to see him on the field, especially when you're going up against one of the better passing attacks in the NFL when they have things clicking. So any help you can get to that secondary room, you, you take. Uh, it's not easy stopping the likes of Jamar Chase, Taj Boyd, T Higgins. Uh, with Joe Burrow uh, behind center with Joe Mixon in the backfield. So uh, whatever upgrades you can have to your defense, you're going to take advantage of. I couldn't agree more. And this is a pretty big matchup as you look forward to this. I mean, you can put, I guess, equally so a little bit. Like the Bengals are surging. They're looking to get back on track fully. The Bills, you know, have a couple of division losses of their own, some conference losses too. I mean, you're a situation to where the Bengals could be winless in the conference after this game. Um, and that puts them pretty much really fighting for the wild card at that point. They're pretty much almost doom and gloom for the division, um, being 0-4 in the conference, 0-2 in the division. Like, there is some comeback there, but they've lost to those teams already. Um, so that there's kind of a big deal um, that this is pretty important for them to, in AFC seeding, they could lose out on tiebreakers to even make the playoffs if they're not careful. Um, so I think that this game and they have, once again, starting with San Fran, they have a pretty hard schedule themselves playing their entire division again. Uh, and there's some big games mixed in there for the Bengals. Uh, so as you look at their schedule, uh, Kevin, and you kind of break down what the Bengals need to do, are they in, I don't, nothing's must win territory for either team. It's really not. Uh, but you got a pretty pesky Texans team. You got a Ravens, Steelers, Jags, um, Steelers, Chiefs, Browns, like, they could win all those. They could lose every one of them. Um, so what's your opinion for the, on the Bengals side first? Do they have some extra motivation here? Or do you think the Bills come in with the more motivational side, having an extra couple of days of rest, uh, trying to get back after what happened in the playoffs? I think they're both equally motivated because maybe I shouldn't say that this is a must-win game, but we're pretty close to must-win territory. Once it hits November, we're going to start seeing those games become must-win games. And I know some people might not want to say that just yet, but I'm going to say this is a must-win game for the Bills because if you drop to five and four, it's, what, your fourth conference loss. They have not the best divisional record right now. This is a huge game for the Bills, and I'm sure the Bengals are looking at it the same way. They got off to that rocky start. Now Burrow looks like he's healthier. So I'm thinking both teams want this just as bad as the other. I don't think this is must win from a post making the postseason perspective. I think 
it's more so a must win if the Bills want to have a realistic chance at winning the AFC East with the way Miami is playing currently. Yes, Miami has some tougher games coming up, and the Bills obviously have the the rematch the final week of the season. But the way the Dolphins are playing, they, they look like a team that's going to win uh, anywhere between 11 to 13 games right now. So in order for the Bills to win the division, they're going to need to keep pace with the Dolphins on a weekly basis. And with the with Miami playing Kansas City, this could be an opportunity to retake the lead uh, in the AFC AFC East potentially uh, this week. Now, for the postseason, we're talking about teams like Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Houston, uh, and those likes competing for the final wild card team. So I don't think must win as far as making the playoffs because I do think there's going to be a bunch of teams in that nine win territory, and I think ten wins might. Uh, be enough to get you into the postseason as the final wild card. But uh, as far as uh, momentum, as far as getting the the second half of your season off to the right start, the Bills need to win to kind to kind of show the rest of the league that they are back on track and to build up uh, some momentum heading into that difficult stretch uh, of November when they're going to play teams like the Chiefs, play teams. Uh, like the Cowboys uh, and and so forth um, going forward. So this is the first of the the difficult games uh, on their schedule. And if they can find a way to get to six and three with the Broncos and the Jets uh, at home after there afterwards, you can quietly get yourself to eight and three and actually in a pretty solid uh, position. The the unfortunate part for the Bills right now is that they are not playing the Cincinnati Bengals that opened the season in which Joe Burrow was a shell of himself. T Higgins was not doing anything. And this defense was mediocre. We saw against Sam Fran, the Cincinnati Bengals of the past two years. And if they come out on Sunday night uh, with that confidence, uh, that cockiness that they have as a team, it could be potentially a long night for the bills, depending on which version of either team uh, we see. But uh, we have a lot to talk about regarding this this matchup because the last time the Bills took the field against Cincinnati, it was the worst loss we've seen the Bills take since the 2021 season. But there are some stats that show that the Bills are very good in rematches following a loss and very good against teams that they lost to the prior year. I have two numbers. One of them I stole from Kevin. So credit to, to Masseri on this one. But since the the 2020 playoffs, the Bills are 7-0 in rematch games against teams that they lost to either within the season or the previous year. Meaning if they lost to a team earlier in the year and they they played them again that season, they won the rematch each time. And the same could be said if they lost a game to a team one year and then played them the next game in in the following year. And to go one step further, this stat is a little bit different, but against teams the Bills have lost to in the prior season since 2020, the Bills are 12-3 and the next year against those opponents. So basically what you see with those numbers is that Sean McDermott and the coaching staff, they might get, they might lose a game here or there but they are normally really good at figuring out what you did to them and adjusting and finding out ways to get back at you. We've seen it with Kansas city a few times where the bills lost in the playoffs to them back to back years, 
but found a way to win their next matchups in the regular season. So what are we going to see from uh, the Bills on Sunday night? I think a lot of what they did uh, this offseason was geared up towards basically going after uh, a Cincinnati Bengals team. Now, the 12 personnel, I think, played a role in that, and obviously we're not going to see too much of that given the current situation. But defensively, how are the Bills going to uh, be able to take on the Bengals? And once again, it's so unfortunate that Daquan Jones is going to be out once again against the Cincy team because I think it would be, look a lot different against Joe Burrow if you had your big man inside just wreaking havoc. It's definitely um, a really interesting game as you kind of bring up. I mean, there's been some stats about how good Allen is on night games. I've always, and I think you brought up a good point about them being able to um, transition to the next time that they play. And a lot of times McDermott's able to take tendencies and see things that they were able to do the previous time. That's not a random stat. Uh, and, and in that 12 and three record that even you pulled, two of those are were schedule changes, COVID year when you didn't know what the schedule was going to, there were, there was a time that they might've skipped that Tennessee game and played Kansas city. Like that was a wacky wild situation in two of, uh, of those, of those three losses in the 12 and three record. Uh, and not to mention the seven, uh, since the 2020 playoffs and then six and zero in modern since the 2021 season um, in games and a rematch. So there's a lot of good stats in Josh Allen being uh, undefeated on Sunday night football. So there's a lot of good things that the bills do. And I do think that they built a roster to compete against their con continuous contenders, Cincinnati's and the Kansas cities. They feel like they need to start winning in the divisional round and start winning in the, in, in the hopefully in the championship round as well. Uh, these are situations to where they need to, to build rosters to beat this team. And they felt fairly comfortable already beating the Miami's of the world as they've proven. Um, so they, they look forward and, and just quite frankly, can get got sometimes by some of these rosters, like, you know, a Bill Belichick coach team or a Robert Sala defense as Robert Sala's defense analytically good. It's not great, uh, but they just seem to always be, they just look, that's an eye test team that looks way better than they play. And the offense is so mild, but needed some blunder by the Patriots and they're still in it or excuse me by the giants. And they're still in it um, based on these blunders. And they'll see Rogers at some point uh, in December. Uh, by all accounts, I believe. So we'll see what that develops. So there's sometimes the Bills can get got in those situations, but they build these rosters with Kansas City and Cincinnati in mind because if you can't overcome them, um, you know, you're going to continue to lose in the divisional round. But, you know, there's going to be people that say, but Mike, you got to get there first. Um, so I think that the Bills still feel fairly confident. And you certainly don't want to be in a 2-7-3-6 game against Cincinnati or KC in the first round. That is something you want to avoid at all at all costs. I'm not 100% sure Cincinnati. I mean, Kansas City will be the one or two seed. They're going to be able to waltz there even with a few losses. Um, but I don't believe that Cincinnati will be in a top three seed. They could potentially scrape by in that division to get the four and win their division. Uh, or they'll be the top wildcard team in that five spot. So this could be the year that Cincinnati and KC match up in the divisional round. Uh, and that is something that the, that Bills fans are rooting for in that situation, you know, put that on the other side of the bracket and hope the bills are sitting in a two or three sp uh, spot with a little bit different of a path than having to overcome Cincinnati and then Kansas city again, uh, in back-to-back -back games. And then at, uh, off of a divisional game against Miami, I mean, that's death row. I mean, essentially in, in a playoff bracket perspective, you can't get a lot harder than that. Um, so it's definitely they need to avoid those situations. And here's a game where they can avoid those situations, Kevin. I know it's not a must win. And there's talks that dropping to 0-4 in the conference 
you know, that starts to become a factor at some point. And that's about the time where now you're losing tiebreakers to Cleveland, Baltimore, Buffalo. You've even lost to Tennessee. You know, that starts to become, although they play well at times, that comes starts to become a factor, Kevin. So what's your opinion on, are you looking at playoff seeding at this point? Don't you have to? Yeah, I mean, we probably should start. Like I said, I, I haven't yet, but I feel like once November hits, that's when it starts to ramp up a little bit. And then you start to look at the conference record, the division record, the different numbers and the ins and outs here and there. So I think we are definitely going to start having these conversations. And I think that this is that turning point in the season, because not only is it the flip of the calendar, but this is the start of the hard stretch for the Bills, where arguably that was the easy part where, you know, you lose to the Jets, the Jags, the Patriots. And I was thinking that there was a chance the Bills could have been seven and one at this point. But they're five and three. So what does that mean? Well, you're going to have to make up for some of those losses with this harder part of your schedule. So maybe that means originally going into the season, I had Buffalo losing to Cincinnati, but you're going to have to find a way to win one of these games. You got to beat Cincinnati. You got to beat Kansas City, Philadelphia, Dallas. If you dropped one or two games that you shouldn't have earlier in the season, you're going to have to make up for it now in these next two months. Absolutely true. And I know, Mike, you're a schedule predictor. You kind of look at games in chunks rather than like this one, that one, this one, that one. Um, and the chunk at five and three, I had him at seven, one, like Kevin did as well in that chunk. Very easy to see six and two. I mean, that's not crazy um, to assume that, that that's probably fair. Um, seven one's aggressive. It is. Um, six and two is realistic. And five and three is probably all things considered a disappointing stretch especially where people are probably looking if people would have saw the giants uh, crazy win, like by 30 and then a big bucks win, they probably would feel a little bit better, even though that's a use like that doesn't mean anything. Um, but they still have one of the best, the, the best score differential in the league, the best score differential since 2020, they do beat people big number one in the league in score differential since 2020, that narrative is super bizarre. Number one in score differential since 2020, they beat teams big. I don't know. You can't win by 30 every game. The Bucks game is proof of it. They were up two scores the entire game. And we've seen it here in Buffalo where that game goes to goes by 21 to 28 points very easily. Uh, majority of the time, it just didn't happen with the fourth down decisions, the couple bad penalties. The next thing you know, you're up 21, 17, 21, 24. Um, and you're not like looking at a Hail Mary that dropped harmlessly to the ground. I don't care what anyone says. Godwin was not there to catch that ball. He was there to look at a deflected tip. He, the Bills would have had, that's just not a situation to where it was close. Uh, that was not even close. Uh, didn't even get to Evans in that situation. Uh, anyways, uh, Mike, as you look at this schedule chunk that I wanted to bring up, we just went five and three. You probably had us more in a modest six and two, maybe even five and three, if I know you. Where would you have, what are you looking at at the next chunk of Bengals, Broncos, Jets, Eagles? That's a four-game stretch coming up. There is some winnable home games in there with Broncos and Jets. Bills are 4-0 at home turf, um, not in neutral site. So 4-0 at home. So that's a pretty good-looking stat. They do need to take that Broncos and Jets game uh, to be in pretty good shape. But where do you stand with, with that pinched by uh, the uh, Bengals and the Eagles? So I had them at 6-2 and two at the eight-game okay. point. I thought that was the worst-case scenario. And I, I do want to make a point, like – while five and three isn't what we expected, it's not good overall for a team that many people thought could win 12, 13 games. The losses in hindsight aren't as bad 
is what many people are going to make them out to be. The Patriots loss is awful. Like that's a, that's an inexcusable loss. Like no doubt about it. This Jets team is now four and three with Zach Wilson. And they have a couple winnable games coming up. They play the Raiders and they have another winnable game. There, there's a good chance this Jets team is going to be five and four uh, when they head to Buffalo in a few weeks. So let's not act like the Jets are horrible. If they had Aaron Rodgers, there's a really good chance this Jets team could be six and three or better right now. Uh, the the Jaguars lost. They started the year weak. They 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 weren't playing well. But we've seen in recent weeks, Jacksonville is playing good football right now. They are. Uh, they have a better record than what the Bills have at the current moment. So to, to say Jacksonville was a weak loss, I think in hindsight, not exactly the case. Patriots lost, I'm all for it. Uh, I don't think the Jags, Jets, Patriots, any of those teams are above the Bills per se, but even good teams are going to lose against uh, opponents that are on their level or beneath it. Uh, we just saw Kansas City score nine points against a Denver Broncos team that allowed 70 against the Miami Dolphins. So it's the NFL. Weird things happen. Going into this next three-game stretch, the Bills have to go no worse than 2-1. and one. Now, if they lose to Cincinnati, you have to beat the Broncos. You have to beat the Jets. That gets you to 6-4, and four, heading into a very difficult, difficult stretch. Now, ideally, you, you beat Cincy, and you find a way to get 8-3. and three. Uh, When you're playing Kansas City – Dallas, uh, the the Chargers and the Eagles in a four-game stretch, I think you're hoping to split those games. I, I realistically think you're hoping to go two and two, and then if you split New England and Miami, maybe you go three and three down the stretch, you can still get to 10, 11 wins as long as you go two and one these next two ga- uh, these next three games. If you beat Cincy, I think it is still on the table – to win uh, the AFC East. You lose to Cincy, I think you start looking wild card. But there's going to be a lot of overreactions based on uh, this performance. I I know, Kev, that you are iffy on ESPN's football power index. It's a little bit too up and down for uh, your taste, and I I understand it. It is kind of like weekly. It, yeah, it, it changes based on every game, every performance, and it, and it is kind of a uh, an iffy uh, metric to use. But ESPN's FPI has the Bills actually favored in all of their remaining games except for Miami in Week mm-hmm. 18. So uh, while we normally would be scared of matchups against the Eagles, matchups at Kansas City, uh, Dallas, and so forth, I don't think there's anything that those teams have shown to this point of the season um, that points to the Bills going into any of those games being scared that they can't win. I, I am. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. 
ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Honestly, probably just as worried about this week as I would be uh, any of those games. The, the, the Kansas City game, I feel like, is a coin flip that could go either way. Dallas, I, I'll give the Bills a slight advantage. Philadelphia on the road, honestly, I might pick the Bills in that game. I, I know Philly is defending NFC champs, and they're off to a 7-1 record. But just watching them on a game-by-game basis this year, they, they don't overly impress me. So uh, if the Bills just found a way to win a couple of these close matchups, they would be in the same spot as a lot of these upcoming opponents. So uh, I guess what I'm saying is I'm not as scared as the upcoming schedule as what a lot of Bills fans are. And I still think well, you're not as you're not as high and low. You're not as yeah, high and low as others. I'm still thinking 10, 11 wins based on and then that was close to where I was before the year. Before the year, I was eleven to twelve wins. Right now I'm ten to eleven wins. And that's basically just because they lost one more game in the front eight than what I had New England, before yeah. the year. You have a New England loss in there now. Yeah, exactly. And don't forget this Dallas stretch. Uh, is nothing they just had a buy in there, but they lost to the Cardinals, they got crushed by the 49ers. They barely escaped the Chargers. Um, so they had a stretch as well. And now they're coming to Buffalo in Dallas out of their dome. Um, I don't look at that as overly, and it's a good team. I don't look at that as overly crazy um, with another game where the Bills should be favored. And as Kevin said, you need to start making sure you're plucking off some of these games. And maybe it's the at Eagles game where you can and, flip that New England game around. Add something to it, Kev. We've been, you, you and I have been heavy DVOA advocates for, multiple years on this show and there's always been kind of that um i don't know denial by a lot of fans saying well if dvoa is that important of a metric then why do the bills uh, fall short every year in the playoffs why do they not win it all and i think this is a good year for the dvoa uh conversation because right now they're, they're still third in the metric despite their five and three record and with all these challenging games uh, coming forward, uh, if the Bills start losing uh, the majority of those contests, then we will see reflected change in the DVOA where they will drop. And then we will see that they aren't quite yeah. as good. So it will be kind of um, seen in their underlying metrics. So uh, I think this is a good stretch to really see where does this team actually stand among their peers in the NFL. Yeah. And to your DVOA point and I'm going to get Kevin's opinion on this too, where we're going to do eye test versus nerd test. Um, you know, a, a segment I want to start implementing here. You got the bills actually moved up to three uh, total DVOA uh, on offensive side of the ball. So they're looking pretty good. The defense is still faltering at times. They probably got uh, dinged by that long drive at the end of the game by Baker Mayfield against a pretty, average offense um but actually tampa defense is better than the bills defense so you guys got to remember how well that the team played for three quarters very well against a pretty good tampa defense that isn't uh an easy gimme you know even if you want to call them the dolphins defense or 
or, you know, the Vegas defense has been pretty bad or a couple others um, have been, you know, Chicago's has been bad. Denver's, you know, has been historically bad, but played pretty well against Kansas city, which is crazy showingly how much a division games matter, even in a situation too, where Patrick Mahomes has never lost a division road game. And he's any, he, and he just dominates uh, the, uh, the um, Denver Broncos as well. And you did see it in this situation uh, where these division games at some point come back to get you. The bills are not going to go six and zero in the division every year. Hoping for four and two is where you need to be. And that's where they need to be this year and win those three division games. If they win those three division games in, the, in this portion of the schedule, I think they're in good shape for the division. And if they don't, I don't think they're in very good shape. So that's, what's going to count for it. And the Tampa game statistically, analytically, I pulled this. It's the least important game on the schedule because it doesn't help you in tiebreakers against your own division, which is common opponents and guess beside division record. The next thing, actually a lot of ties are broken by common opponents and it's not a common opponent game with any of your division. And then it's an NFC game. So there's nothing there that helps you in an AFC wildcard or seedings battle. So in theory, the 17th game of the year, which are these uh, fifth NFC games, these crossover games aren't technically analytically as big uh, as others, the Bills actually already lost a common opponent's game in the Jaguars. That game was not in common with the rest of the division, meaning that if they're tied with the Dolphins, it's generally more likely that they will win the the um, the uh, tiebreaker. The only caveat there now is that a the Bills could sweep them, but b that New England loss is going to really come back and bite them uh, in a lot of ways because the Dolphins beat the uh, beat the Patriots twice. So we need the Jets to do something. Uh, against them in in the, in the future weeks. But Kevin asking you about nerd to eye test versus nerd test. Um, do you think in your opinion right now that their numbers and what you see on, on TV, I guess, or rewatching it or whatever you want to use, those are still third DVOA um, in the league on offense. Does that feel right? Third overall Baltimore's now having a pretty historic year, which is normal for them. They're regular season champions. Um and the Bills are now dropped to 14th defense. Does that all click for you? I'm going to try to look at both sides here because I think that the Bills did something very important. I'm going to tie this back to what I was talking about last week on the show, and that's how I felt like the Bills' philosophy changed this year with how they went into the season saying, hey, we're going to run 12 personnel. We have two tight ends now. We're going to establish a running game. We're going to win up front. We're going to be physical. And then they got decimated with injuries and they tried with that same philosophy. And then we sat on this show as many other people did. It was on Twitter. I mean, everyone was talking about how the bills needed to unleash Josh Allen. And I think that the bills kind of found themselves last week aside from that fourth quarter, but the first three quarters, that was a beautiful offensive game plan. And it was like, finally, you're using Dalton Kincaid and Gabe Davis in more ways than just 40-yard vertical routes. And Khalil Shakir and Josh was running. So I, I felt like the Bills got back to doing what they do best. And I said last week on the show that it's time to turn down the balance and turn up the aggressiveness. And I thought they did a great job of that. Again, minus that fourth quarter because I would like to see them be a little bit more aggressive. But moving forward, I think we're going to see that aggressiveness because I think the Bills saw that themselves. And even though I wish this wasn't true, Jordan Phillips even said in the locker room a couple of weeks ago, they play to the level of their opponent. And now that they're getting into the thick part of their schedule, I think you're going to see this team come out with their fastball. Enough of the off-speed pitches. Go after them with your fastball. 
as a World Series going on right now. <laughs> Kevin wants them to use their number one pitch. Um, and you see, and I think you see a true differentiator where just like the Bengals feel like they're taking on all cylinders, the Bills now have pulled out a really good 11 personnel situation. So now they've pulled out a formation that they think is pretty good, even though they played still pretty well in 12. Uh, the Bills do have versatility in the 11 uh, personnel situation to where the one thing the Bills are lacking was that true slot receiver. Now you have Kincaid. Now you have Shakir showing to be the number one receiver last week uh, overall in stats. Um, that's not quite what teams were hoping to see. They were hoping that they would struggle a little bit more without uh, da uh, Dawson Knox. So I think that there is plenty to like. And then to read the Cincinnati metric, Mike, they were playing awful before last week. Like not, not bad. They were playing awful. 21st DBOA going into the week, 18th on offense. Um, on defense, they were 17th. Um, I mean, it, it wasn't a good, even in the win they had against Seattle, they should have lost that, uh, that game where that took multiple botches by Geno Smith, a good Seattle team who went out and made a move today as well. Uh, go ahead and botching their end of game situation as, uh, in that, in that scenario. And then it took them looking pretty good against a team that probably shouldn't have played, um, Brock Purdy. I mean, he was a concussion up until game time. That was a very interesting to see. He was put into protocol on Wednesday. He just didn't look like the Brock Purdy that, you know, can run that Shanahan offense like we know how to run it. Um, so, I mean, I think Lou Anaruma was like, you're going to play a guy coming right off of a concussion. Uh, yeah, like that's probably not the 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 time we're not going to sit here and feast on him. And they did, um, you know, generally doesn't turn over the ball except for the fourth quarter last game and then against the Bengals. So, you know, there's probably a concussion in play there. That's what, you know, it, it's been said to me. But um, so we're going to see a one game sample size from Cincinnati, but it's a good game and it's a good team, Mike. As you kind of look at their metrics um, that we like to bring up, 23rd offensively last week uh, going before the San Francisco game. That's not eighth. That's not 15th. That's bottom tier level football. And like, I do think Burrow is quote unquote back. The team in general, Burrow aside, wasn't playing good in, until week eight. Like, do you think there's anything there? That's like a little bit even later than normal for them. Yeah, it's this is a tough one, Kev, because we are so metric driven, but I do think their metrics were severely hampered by what Joe was going through early in the year with his cap. Uh, the Bengals have been slow starters the previous two years, but they have always found their game uh, midseason and kind of ended season strong. I do think that injury played a major role in Cincinnati's struggles. Joe is a, a quarterback that's about his pinpoint accuracy, his timing. Uh, and even though he's not really a runner, he does have mobility in the pocket. That calf injury took away almost all of that. Uh, they had a game against the Browns and horrible weather to open the year. Burrow did not look good uh, in the early season. And that's rightly reflected in the numbers right now. And you're right, San Fran was really the first game all year where they really had it going, and they're lucky that they found a way to beat the Rams and that they found a way to beat Seattle because if they didn't, right now they would be 2-5 and five and they would probably be a team that would be on the outside come playoff time, but they have found a way to get a little bit back on track. And this is going to be an important game for them and their playoff chances. If they lose to the Bills, Cincinnati could very well be on the outside looking in. I think the, the two most important things looking at this Bengals team right now is how do you shut down their big three, their receivers? Right now, their passing game has been very average. Uh, look at the numbers for uh, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. Neither of them have really done much. Like Boyd has 33 receptions, I believe, for like 243 yards. That's not a Tyler Boyd touch season. T. Higgins is has under 200 yards uh, through five-plus games this year. 
he's not even on pace to have a 500, 600-yard season. Now, he probably will get closer now that they're starting to click. But people talk about Gabe Davis not being a good number two receiver. These guys in Cincy that people say are stars are not playing like stars right now uh, outside of Jamar Chase, who is just uh, a generational talent. Uh, you also look at the Cincinnati running game. They have been horrific uh, on the ground this year. Uh, as a team, uh, they're averaging only 3.7 yards per carry and have two touchdowns. And Yikes. so they're really not getting it done on the trenches and especially defensively. If, if the Bills want a place to attack this team, it should be on the Cincinnati uh, ground uh stopping the run Cincinnati is one of the worst teams in the NFL right now stopping the run they've allowed five yards per carry 970 yards and six touchdowns so uh, I think this is a game that you let James Cook cook and uh, you sprinkle obviously some of the aspects of the 11 personnel in the the past game that we've seen uh, last week against Tampa Bay but there are things uh, that the Bills can attack in this game uh, uh, before we go into our predictions there sure are um, and one stat I wanted to bring up just box score stat and, you know, sick of bringing up, I'm sure people are sick of EPAs and they didn't even bring up any EPA today. We had to talk about the trade. I didn't want to really dive into 11 EPA too much. And, you know, we'll let everyone stew over it and we'll pull it up more next week when there's more data uh, around it might have, I got a great Broncos guest next week. So we're going to bring some guests back next week as well. No trade deadline, obviously. And then, um, and I think it'll be a good time with normal schedule seven. And then with the guest, I think we'll really enjoy that for next week. But Mike, they don't, beside a few Burrow runs, they don't have a single player on their team with over seven carries beside Mixon. Like, they don't even have a complimentary game at all. And Mixon himself is still running at 4.0 yards per carry. Uh, I mean, key to this game is going to, they're going to get theirs on offense if they're ticking on all cylinders. I think that's the way you tried to play the playoff game. Uh, you just weren't doing anything on offense. Um, but ultimately, it's going to be a good test to see if they can take away uh, Mixon and then maybe throw into their coverage-based team, hopefully with Razul Douglas. All right, guys, it's time for score predictions brought to you by Sons of Erie, www.sonsoferie.com, and use promo code GOINGDEEP uh, for your ability to save extra on all things Sons of uh, Erie. Mike, it's time. We might finally, beside week one, have some differing predictions. I believe I feel it in my bones. We're going to start with Mike. It's a typical down to Kevin and then myself. So, Mike, start us off with your predictions of this game. So, right now, I have not done well picking Bills games this year. I'm 5-3. and three. I think I've picked them each week. And there's been justifiable reasons to pick them every week. Every And that's season, but, in that schedule. Uh, for reasons uh, uh, left on the football field, the Bills have found a way to lose three games so far. This is the week I pick against the Bills. I'm going Cincinnati 30 to 24. I fully think the Bills are going to give them a much better game than what they did yes. in the playoffs last year. My concern right now is I feel like the Cincinnati offense is finally starting to rediscover their identity, and it's against a Bills defense that is undermanned. I am scared not having uh, Milano at linebacker in this matchup where you have to either go with Dodson or Dorian Williams. Uh, I'm scared not having Daquan Jones. We saw them abuse us in the trenches last year. I'm afraid that Mixon will have the possibility of having a strong game. I do think the Bills will be much better offensively than what we saw in the playoff game last year. I think the Cincinnati defense has holes that the Bills can exploit. But as I've told you in the past and people that are familiar, I am – a person that very much I need to see the Bills execute against 
a team that they have struggled against before I believe that they will execute. I fully think they can, but I need to see it before I can believe it 100%. Okay, there you have it. Let's see if Kevin is going to let Mike potentially take the lead or block him in the score predictions. Kevin, what do you got for us? I'm taking the Bills here because, like I was saying earlier in this show, I think the Bills are going to have to start flipping some of these games where in the beginning of the year, you look and say, okay, maybe this could be a loss. And obviously you look at it now and it can still be a loss. But five and three, one or two of those losses probably shouldn't have lost at least a Patriots game. I mean, that is definitely a game that you cannot drop. But regardless, the Bills have dropped one or two games that they shouldn't have. So that means that they're going to have to win one or two games now that maybe we thought they weren't going to. And now they're going to flip. And I think that the Bills backs are, I don't want to say against the wall, but they know how big of a game this is. I'm trying to stay confident that Leonard Fournette and Rasul Douglas can maybe inject some confidence in this team. And again, I think this team found that fastball last week against Tampa Bay. They had the mini buy to continue to rest up. I'm going to take Buffalo in a close one here, 37 to 34. Interesting high scoring game. Uh, Kevin's pretty much hitting it all, and we'll see. I mean, he could take a big lead over uh, Mike uh, if the Bills do pull this. I hope he does. I hope he does. Okay. So we got some hope by Mike. Just because of his prediction doesn't mean it's the end of the world. Mike hopes that Kevin takes a commanding score prediction lead as we go into the the, the meat of the stretch of the schedule. It's going to be kind of, but we're going to have a lot more potential differences as the schedule goes on. Brings me to me, and there's a stat that sticks out to me, and one that I released last year: seven and zero against teams that you know coming off of a loss since the 2020 playoffs. Mike, twelve and three in your stat. Uh, two of those being the COVID win, so take those away. Looking at twelve and one in non-COVID related reschedulings. Um, you know, there's a lot of stats that show that that Sean McDermott's team is very good coming off of that the team losing to that team previously. Uh, so there's definitely some good numbers that come up from that. And I'm going to stick with it. I think that the bills uh, between the emotional uh, game that they had last year, that was canceled between the playoff game and the weather elements. I still think that that game, they were a little bit under man. And since he was pretty full strength, but I still think that that game goes a little bit differently. Uh, if um, there is no elements last minute uh, on the field, I, I don't believe that that worked to their favor at all in that specific game. Dorsey needs to be better, but I do think it was a factor. Um, I have the bills in this game and I think that there might be some defensive moments in this game. Um, as we've seen throughout the last couple of weeks at times at stretches, I think that new 11 personnel and the situation with Dalton Kincaid and with Khalil Shakir is going to get going. And I think the running game uh, both ways is favor bills defensively and offensively. Uh, So we're going to have to see how that all amounts uh, in this specific game. Uh, So the Bills run game against the Cincy uh, uh, run defense, I think, is pro Bills in this matchup, especially with Josh Allen. And I think you see the best of Josh Allen. He's had a couple of extra days to rest that shoulder. So I have the Bills in this game, 27-20 in Cincinnati to take care of business. And we'll see. Mike could take this game back and tie Kevin for the lead. uh, I I, I don't want to, Kevin. I want to be wrong. Or he could be in a commanding last play. So we'll see. There's a lot on the line for Mike specifically in this uh, in this one. And maybe he's right. Uh, or maybe he drops um, to the pits of despair in this game uh, with the over-under at 48 and a half. And obviously, you know, I'm right there in my prediction at 47, actually hitting the under. Kevin's hitting the over uh, in this game. So final takeaways, Kevin. Why don't you bring us home with your final uh, take on this spooky Halloween night on trade deadline day? as we, uh, you know, as we end the hour. 
Well, when we were talking about Rasul Douglas, I was going to make this point and we never got around to it. So I'm going to circle back here. And I think that Rasul Douglas is going to be an immediate impact. I'm not going to say that he's going to start and he's going to shut down T-, T Higgins or Jamar Chase. But if you remember last year, the Bills acquired Naheem Hines around the same time of the trade deadline. And then they talked about how they wanted to use him on offense and special teams. Well, do you know how many touches he had on offense? 11. He had six rushes and five receptions. Barely saw the field on offense. But I think this is a case. You don't have to learn the playbook as much on defense. I mean, this is a zone-heavy concept that Douglas was running in Green Bay. And I think that they can just quickly and easily insert him into the lineup. Again, maybe I shouldn't say Sunday night, but... For this thicker part of the schedule, I think Rasul Douglas is going to make an immediate impact for this team. And going back to AJ's question from earlier, I think it did move the needle for me. Not a lot, but at least a little bit. And again, the confidence level is starting to rise. There you have it. Please smash that like button. This show is brought to you by Sons of Erie, www.sonsoferie.com. Use promo code going deep for a nice deep discount on your goods. But from Kevin, Mike, Kevin, we'll be back at you next week at the normal time, 7 o'clock, to break this game down and more, as well as talk to you with a with a potential Broncos guest, really some great people over there covering the Broncos. So I'm really looking forward to what they think from Sean Payton and their team next week as well. So tune in next week at 7. We'll be right back at you. But from the Going Deep podcast, we'll check you out soon. And happy Halloween to all of our listeners and all of our on-demand listeners. We'll see you guys soon. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.